Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. One of the most critical steps in any construction project is understanding the contract. And designers, we have a superpower that makes us the most important person for your client to have review the contracts and understand the numbers that are being included. Let's talk about that today. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Before we get into this important topic, I want to do a little housekeeping because you all have been so patient over the last two weeks as we transitioned to a new website. And of course, the podcast page was the last to go live due to technical difficulties that were unforeseen and frankly are above my pay grade as far as understanding them. So you all have found the podcast through Spotify, through Apple, through Google, and I really appreciate your tenacity to finding the past two episodes that will help move your businesses forward. And so I'm thrilled to say that this episode you can find on our website. The address hasn't changed. It's still DeVignetDesign.com, but we have rebranded and I'm really excited about the new website because it truly does bring the three components of my business that I love the most, my interior design work, my podcasting, and my online content and course and mentorship. So if you have a chance, go check out the site. It really is amazing. I wish I could take credit for it, but I found a very talented graphic designer who put it all together and makes everything cohesive and understandable and easily found. So you can find this episode now on the website if that is your preferred method for listening. And as always, it's going to be on all of the other platforms that I mentioned if that's how you prefer to listen. So today's topic I have spoken about in the past, you know, contract review is a critical step in any project. 
And the unfortunate part is we aren't always brought on the project in time to affect the contracts. So today I want to talk about two different scenarios that you will likely find yourself in. And the first is the most common, that you are brought on after the team is formed, meaning the architect, if one is needed, has already done their work. The contractor has been awarded the job. If they went to a bid process, that is all complete. And then they think they need to hire you now. Now, of course, you know I'm going to say that's not the right order, that a designer should be brought on in the very beginning alongside an architect so that you can affect not only to affect the design, but that you can have a voice in the bidding process and help guide your client through that incredibly complicated, in particular with a new build, most clients are not accustomed to working through. So if you are brought in in this scenario and the contract has been awarded and the job is about to start, it has already started, the very, very first thing I want you to do is ask your client to review their contract. Now, what you may run up against is a hesitation. And that's understandable, right? We're all brought up, oh, you don't talk about money. Oh, it's sort of personal. Oh, I don't know if I want to share. In particular, if this is a new client that you don't have that trust factor well established yet. And so I I understand that. I understand their hesitation. But it is your responsibility to assure your client that this is your role. And frankly, you have a good sense of what they're probably paying for their project because you've done this before. So really, truly, no is not an acceptable answer because you can't know what your scope of work will be unless you know what's in this contract. So what do I mean by that? So your scope of work will be selecting tiles or vanities and mirrors and slabs and decorative lighting. All of those pieces will be included in a contract. Now, it may be that they are marked NIC, which means non-contract, but they are still a line item that your client has looked at and approved doesn't mean they've understood what they've approved. And that's what I really want to get involved with today. So there is a term used in the construction industry called an allowance. And it is the worst term I've ever come across. First of all, homeowners do not understand the true meaning of the word allowance. So I actually looked it up and the dictionary has allowance as, quote, the amount of something that is permitted. Okay. That is also what your client is thinking, but that is not what that term means. What that term means is the contractor has come up with a figure to slot into that spot on items that the homeowner will specify, meaning they don't know what it's going to be when they're doing the bidding process. And for designers who are new to this, you may think, oh, okay, great. Well, I mean, if the contractor has been in the business for 20 years and the number must be pretty solid, wrong. The number, just so you understand, is created from a formula. And that formula has nothing to do with your individual client. It has nothing to do with their individual likes and tastes, dreams and hopes, mood boards they've created, Pinterest ideas they have. Absolutely none of the above. It is a formula. And I can tell you in the last 30 years, I have probably seen less than 10 allowance numbers ever work out the right way. 
And I'm not kidding. And I am definitely not exaggerating. So what's with this terminology? And trust me, it is a constant discussion between me and my contractors. And what it is and what I'm always hearing is, hey, Renee, I have no idea what they're going to pick out. So I just use an industry formula and create a number. It's up to the homeowner to understand that they can spend whatever they want. So if it says $10,000, they can spend 20. I don't care, Renee. It's still, let's say it's tile. It's still tile. Okay. And then my pushback is always, did you explain that to the client? Well, they saw, Renee, that it was an allowance and they understand it's just an allowance. It's just like a money holder. No, that is not my experience with what clients see. So again, these clients have poured, hopefully, poured over these contracts, read them through line by line. Okay, vanity and allowance. Okay, tile for the bathroom, allowance. Okay, sconces and a pendant, an allowance. And they are seeing those added into their bottom line of the contract. So let's say this client of yours has $100,000 that they want to spend on this project. Whatever the scope of the project is, is irrelevant. They look at a contract and all of the hard numbers, which are ones that the contractor actually does know the quantity and price per unit on, plus the allowances. And let's say it totals $85,000. The client is more focused on that number than how that number was derived, right? I mean, duh, they want to know that they can afford it. Okay. Now they're saying to themselves, this is amazing. Okay, it's only going to cost us $85,000. Well, we have 100. That gives us 15,000 for the oh shit clause that I'm always hearing about. This is great. Yes, sign, date, get going. But what they're not understanding is where those allowance numbers are coming from. And I have never heard a contractor ever say, hey, I used a formula to create this number. This has nothing to do with you and your style and your personal taste. Honestly, I have never heard a contractor say it. And another pushback they give is, well, gee, Renee, I don't know if I'm bidding against someone. And if I'm bidding against someone and I use what I think is real numbers and they're using the formula, then my contract numbers will be out of whack and I won't get the job. Well, yes, that's possible. But what is fair? And I mean that. What is fair? So what happens, fast forward, is the client gets underway. They have an allowance. Let's say it's $5,000 for tile for their bathroom. And that is the shower stall, the shower floor, the walls, the ceiling in the shower, the floor in the bathroom. And they go out and they start selecting. And they are so excited. The homeowner has been working up mood boards and they just can't wait. They go in and they pick Carrera tile and they love everything about it. And they see, you know, price per square foot and they're not really focusing on that. And, you know, they're not in their head adding it all up and they pick out some accent tiles to use and the whole kit and caboodle. And then they get the estimate back and it's $6,500. And they take it to the contractor and the contractor is like, sure, go ahead, use it. It'll be another $1,500. And in this scenario, they'll say something like, oh, and by the way, the labor price on that next line item is also going to go up because it costs more to install stone tile than it does porcelain tile. And the homeowner, now mind you, if they're at this point, chances are that bathroom's demoed out. So they are what we call point of no return. And the contractor goes, well, I didn't know you were going to specify Carrera. And the homeowner goes, well, I didn't know I couldn't specify Carrera. 
And I have been in these situations and it is super uncomfortable and my heart breaks for the homeowners. And all that needed to be said in the beginning was, hey, this is likely going to get you porcelain or ceramic tile. Does that work for you? And the homeowner would say, no, I I had always dreamed of having a Carrera bathroom. Okay, let me go back and rework the numbers. That step, that one tiny step, never happens unless you're involved. Because our superpower as interior designers is having vast knowledge of product costs. Now, don't panic. I'm hearing some panic already. If you're saying, oh my God, Renee, well, I don't do a lot of kitchens and baths. I really don't know about tiles. Hang tight. I'm going to go over that in a few minutes. But the majority of us have an idea. You can review a contract and you can spot something and go, huh, this one feels low. All you have to know at that juncture, and you immediately turn to your client, you say, let me run this down. Let's have a quick conversation about it. Make sure this one's on track. That's it. I actually use a highlighter and I highlight the ones that I think look a little kaflooey. Chances are it's most of them, but it gets the point across to the homeowner in the beginning stages, even if they have signed off on it. I would much rather a client know before demo that they're going to need an extra $1,500 to make that bathroom what they want than after demo when the guy is waiting for the tile and the homeowner feels like they are over a barrel. And that is an exact comment I heard from a homeowner. He had three bathrooms torn apart. He had not let me see the contract. I was brought on way too late. When we started going line by line, he realized that he was screwed. And I was heartbroken for him. I was super mad at the contractor. And the homeowner was pissed. And frankly, he had every right to be. It was never explained to him in the beginning what an allowance was. He assumed that it would be, remember the definition, the amount of something that is permitted. Okay. Another scenario I have been with is I have figured out after they've signed off on a contract and realized that it wasn't going to get them that Carrera marble tile that the wife had dreamed of. And you know what the husband said? Find something that'll fit in $5,000. That's all I'm spending. That's what we have budgeted for. Make it work. Okay. Then there are going to be concessions made. And I can promise you they're not concessions that a homeowner is going to want to make at that stage. Now, there's going to be some that they'll be fine with, but you should see the forlorn looks on my clients' faces when their partner says, make it fit. I'm not spending a dime over. And then you're thinking, God, you're going to spend $85,000 and you're going to make concessions? Again, it could have been avoided in the beginning. And this is where I want you to really Put yourself forward, be extremely confident, and explain to the client exactly why you want to see those numbers the minute you can. Because like I said, depending on when you're brought on, the project may be well underway. And sadly, I have been brought in when this shit has hit the fan. Hey, Renee, we're realizing none of our allowance numbers are adding up. We need your help. We need professional help to basically whittle it all down and get us something that we like well enough. Again, 
Who wants to work under those circumstances? And what homeowner wants to pay for something good enough? It's all avoidable. Now, there are, let's say, four top contractors in my area that are all vying for the same 1% million dollar projects, right? And three of them use the same formulas. And this one contractor's numbers are always higher. Now, in the beginning, when I first moved back and I would hear this, I'm like, well, what's he doing wrong? (laughs) Maybe it's the annoyance factor and he doesn't want all the jobs. Maybe he's small enough and he just wants to push some jobs off. Who knows? And you know what I learned along the way? That's not the case at all. He actually uses real numbers, estimates, but decent estimates based on the quality of product he sees his clients using. And that's why his numbers are higher. But you know what else doesn't happen on his projects? Change orders, overruns, and he has happy clients in the end. And I've heard clients say, oh, that was a tough nut to swallow when I saw that, you know, so-and-so was going to be at whatever percent cheaper. But you know what? I got exactly what I wanted and I'm thrilled in the end. And I had friends who used that other company and they had to pay more in the end. And in this scenario, from the 85000 to the 100000 that $15,000 Oh shit fund didn't go to that. It went to putting in the products that they actually want to use. So there's a running joke. And honestly, I think it's been so long that I really probably should just go ahead and do it. But I work with all of these guys on different projects and I complain to them openly. You guys have got to get it together and stop using these formulas that are way too low for the products that you know damn well are going in. And I joke, I said, I'm going to rent a party bus. Really nice one, right? All tricked out, the food. Hell, maybe I'd even get someone to pass food around it. Maybe a chef. And we will go showroom to showroom where I know full well the clients are going. And I'm going to take all of them. I mean all of them. The top guys from all these construction companies and show them products. This is the kind of thing your clients are using. Everybody, scribble down the numbers. Get an average. Use that for faucets. Move on to a tile store. Guys, over here, this whole wall, all fair game. Get some average prices. Take them to a lighting showroom. See all of these pendants? Yep. Get some average prices. And agree to use those numbers. I understand the bidding process is cutthroat. But if everybody was on the same page, wouldn't that make it fair to everyone? Because what happens is, like my client who said he was caught over a barrel, He bitched and moaned all over town about this contractor. I mean, to the point where I was like, hey, I think you should probably tone that down. He's like, no, no. He said, I feel taken because his numbers were so low just to get the job. And then he racked up change orders. And I got it. And I understood his frustration. And thankfully, over time, it has gone away and he loves his home. But yeah, what did that contractor gain from doing that. I actually know two people who told me, hey, you know what? I heard from David that they didn't have a great experience. I don't think I'm going to give him an opportunity to bid on the project. Wow. That contractor really screwed up. And I have a feeling that's a common story. So that scenario is when you're brought on after contracts have been made. And that is your more likely scenario, at least in my experience, because they just truly don't understand the value that we can bring and our superpower understanding product costs. 
So the more you can explain that to anyone, (laughs) I mean, really anyone, let it trickle down through the world that we really can go through these lists and identify quickly numbers that just don't work. And for those of you new to doing this, it will not take you that long. And again, I'm, I'm going to get to some homework you can do to work on this. But the next scenario is if you have an existing client and you know damn well they're going to do a project. Maybe they're going to build a new house. Maybe they're putting on an addition. Maybe they've always talked about gutting the kitchen. And that project comes around. The most amazing part about it is not only do you have the no like, and trust factor that the client will listen to you, but you know their tastes, you know their styles, you know their pain points in pricing. And that becomes the most amazing and a clear-cut contract you will ever create. And it's an amazing feeling. It really, truly is. There's no cringing when we come to an allowance number and think, oh God, it's going to be really off and I'm going to have to be the bad guy and let my client know that, nope, you're not getting this vanity you like because they only put a grand into the allowance and this one's 2400 So I have been fortunate to have a number of projects like this. And one in particular that I want to use as an example, it is extreme. I will preface it by saying that, but I think it illustrates this so beautifully. I had a client who had a very, very lovely home. I worked with her for probably seven or eight years decorating. She had done her kitchen before we had met and we were decorating the house. She had very expensive taste and I got to know her very well. And over that time frame, she was looking for a new home and it did take her I think actually it was closer to nine years until she found the home she wanted. The home she wanted was spectacular. 1920s stone home. It was really, truly special on a beautiful property. The problem is it was built in the 1920s and really had not gotten a lot of updating over those years. So the bathrooms, most of it was original. Chip tiles, most of them was original. The kitchen was tiny. There was no family room. You can imagine the home. And she turned to me and she said, let's do this, Renee. And I said, great. She goes, I'm going to bid this out. Her husband pretty much let her spend whatever she wanted to, but not out of control. Right. And again, I knew this. So there were eight bathrooms in this property. They're not all in the main house. And I know that seems ridiculous. And I knew what she had in mind for these bathrooms. And I knew damn well, not a single contractor would use an allowance number that would cover what she wanted. She also had very expensive taste in lighting. So I said to her, I'm like, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go specify all the plumbing fixtures and all the tiles for the entire bathroom, every single one of them. And we're going to start picking out lighting. And she's like, oh my God, no way, Renee. We haven't even bid this out. I said, here's why. I said, I can get you actual numbers for what you want and we will do plug and play with the contractors. And then when they are all factored in and the total number is what it is, your husband will be thrilled that there will be no change orders. She's like, oh my God, you're right. So we did that. We spent probably six months before putting together bid packages, specifying, I mean, everything, the faucets, the lights, the tiles, I mean, soup to nuts. 
We knew the appliances she wanted in the kitchen. We specified them. We knew that she wanted 5CM countertops in the kitchen. We specified them. It is insane how much information we had prior to finding a contractor. And again, let me preface it by saying that is not normal, but this is an extreme example and a really good one for you to be thinking about what you can be researching now. So fast forward, we identified three companies that she wanted to submit bids and we handed them the packets that we had already identified. And we said, here's all the plumbing fixtures. Here's all the tile for all the bathrooms. Here are the countertops and several pieces of the appliances for the kitchen. And here are what we called the big fixtures, the dining room chandelier, the front hall chandelier, several things in the kitchen. We had identified some very large pieces. We didn't get every single sconce in the entire house, but we, we hit a lot. You should have seen these guys' faces. They're like, wait, what? We're like, yeah, no, these are hard numbers. Please use them. And then guess what? The playing field got leveled. There were a few allowances still in there, some mantles and some fire surrounds and a little bit of cabinetry because she wasn't sure about how she was going to utilize one room. But that's it, people. We got three estimates. They were still varying because there's always going to be a difference from one contractor to another. They approved a contract. We moved forward and she got everything she wanted because it was in the budget. The budget was approved. There were no change orders. There was no sad feelings of regret or feeling like they were compromised in their decision-making, nothing. She literally got everything she wanted and technically it was in budget. Now, of course, the contractors are probably, you know, patting themselves on the back going, well, we finished this huge project and we were on, on budget. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, let's be honest. They were on budget because my client and I were on top of it. And this is where you guys can all be the hero. She was unbelievably thrilled. Now, don't get me wrong. The number was huge. Their contract was huge. But it was always going to be huge if she got these pieces. So her husband's like, I'd rather know in the beginning, no surprise attacks, no drip, 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 change order, 100 here, 1,000 there, 3,000 there. That's what wears the clients down. And we can avoid all of that in the beginning. Now, don't get me wrong. The husband still could have said, no, I don't want to spend this kind of money. Absolutely. But it would have been based on facts and real numbers. And I would much rather hear a no to that point than yes, and then anger and disappointment and grumpiness throughout a project. And for those of you who have done projects like that, I know you're nodding your head in agreement. It's misery when your client is just feeling taken advantage of. And while you had no part in that, it just sort of puts a cloud over the entire project. And unfortunately, you sometimes get the blame just because proximity to it. And that is avoidable. It really is avoidable. And so I cannot express how important it is to get a hold of the budget as soon as humanly possible on a project. Whether you're brought in later, like I talked about first, and yes, is probably most common, or with an existing client. 
Now, if you are sitting there going, oh my God, Renee, well, I don't know. I have no idea. How do I look at a contract? Where do I come up with these numbers? How do I know if a thousand's good for a vanity or not? Because of course you can find a vanity for a thousand dollars. I understand that. But you have to understand the scope of the work, the homeowner you're working for. And we also are good at assuming where you think their tastes and price points will fall. So if you are new to this, or if you're still, you know, getting your legs under you, so to speak, do a fake project, run numbers, run an entire budget for a project using the vendors that you would normally reach out to and start getting some estimates. So let's say it's a bathroom. Okay. Go down to your tile showroom and let's say they're going to use a natural stone in the white family. doesn't matter if it's Carrera, Calcutta, Statuary, whatever get an average price per square foot for a tile that you like to use. Let's say it's six by 12 or a three by six or do both. Now you've got some budget numbers. Okay. You know what? It's going to be $22 a square foot. There's a number. And it's a pretty hard number, by the way. You're not pulling things out of thin air. Do that for countertops. All right. What's some statuary slabs? If I'm going to match that, what are some Carrera slabs, average it out, get some averages and literally make a spreadsheet of it. Okay. Same thing with plumbing. Go to a plumbing showroom, look at some tubs, look at some faucets, look at shower setups, handhelds, bathtubs, freestanding, built-ins, what have you. You can do most of that online even, but I like to see and touch things. Whatever works better for you to get these averages, that's the important part whether you're doing it online or physically going to showrooms. And the bonus is if you go to showrooms, you start to get to know the showroom reps inside, and you can usually tell one is better than the other. And then you're obviously going to want to align with the one that you feel is better. Tell them what you're doing. Don't let them think that there's some big project coming next week. Tell them what you're doing. Get their opinions. They're in that space all day, every day. They are your allies and they want to see you succeed because they want to sell their product. Next, go on whatever lighting websites that you normally gravitate to. If it's visual comfort, go on and look at a few sconces. Pick out three, four, five that you like. Jot down each of the costs. Average it out. Do the same thing with a chandelier. Do the same thing with flush mounts. You know, this is the kind of thing that you can create a really decent understanding of the numbers long before you're actually looking at a client's contract. And this is an important homework step so that when you do look at the contract, when you stick your neck out and say, hey, I can evaluate your contract and I can let you know where I think there's going to be some problems, you actually need to be able to do that, right? So these are things you can be doing as an exercise. And frankly, even designers who've been doing it for a while, it's still a good exercise, especially if you are evolving to higher price point projects, right? Start researching that now. Get those figures in your head so that you are ready and prepared to be successful guiding a client through a contract review. So I know this is a lot and, and trust me, none of us got into this business so that we could, you know, play with numbers in a contract, or at least I've never met an interior designer who really geeks out on that. But it is an important step to running a successful project. And you do have that superpower of understanding product costs. Even if this is a new venture, 
into the construction world. There's a lot of overlap between the decorating side of our businesses and the construction side. You just need to tap into what's missing and find those numbers to supplement that knowledge base. And then your gold. And your client will be so grateful to you. And frankly, the contractors will also be grateful to you because it is a smoother project. They're not beaten over the head by the client thinking that they're getting ripped off or they were bamboozled. Or as my client said, I feel like I'm over a barrel because that is the feeling that clients get. Like I said, it puts a negative energy into any job site and nobody wins in that scenario. And because this is such a critical component to every project, there are several lessons inside my signature course, the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. I show contracts of my clients. I mean, I, of course, black out any personal identifying information, but I show what to look for, things to highlight, why you should be highlighting, how to run it down afterwards. There are spreadsheets that will guide you through this process, make you look like the rock star you are, and to improve your superpower of being the guide that your clients desperately need you to be in the budgeting process. They just don't realize that you can be that guide to them. So as always, if you have any questions based on this episode or based on the course, please feel free to reach out to me. While I don't love budget reviews, I do love the outcome of a comprehensive budget review, and I would be happy to talk about it further with any of you. So for today, I can't thank you enough for your time, as well as your patience with this transition from the old website to the new website. I hope you love the branding. I'm really excited for this new chapter coming to the end of the summer, starting fresh for the fall. And I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening. And I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. Head to my website, devinyedesign.com for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.